Choa, I have a question for you. My question is, why is the first day of teaching so tiring? What is it about it that just drains the mind, body, and spirit? Well, first of all, you probably didn't get any sleep the night before because you're having classroom nightmares. I used to always have a classroom nightmare right before school started. It was like, you know, the one where uh, nobody's sitting in their seats. They're all throwing stuff across the room and you find yourself standing up on a desk and right then the principal walks in because you're yelling and screaming at the kids that nightmare. So you don't get enough sleep the night before because you're all flipped out over the fact that you might have this worst class that you've ever had. And then you have these plans. You've been thinking about them. You've been going over them. You've been going over them. And you're worried that they may or may not work. And then at the last minute, administration, a.k.a. you, puts some sort of plan in place and then they say well we're not gonna do your plan today we're gonna do our plan and by the way we're gonna add this and we're gonna change that and then you're like but I wasn't and then you're trying to sit down and find the email and you can't find the email at all as to what they said they just sent over in remind that look at the email or whatever because that just came out oh by the way we forgot to tell y'all to make sure that you get this in today and don't forget to do your whatever social contract your mission statement whatever that is because we've got to get that done in the first week and all you want to do is teach the kids you don't know for sure whether you should put them in a seating chart you don't even know what they look like so you put them in a seating chart and you end up putting them next to three people that don't like each other so now now you got to figure out another route because that's not going to be going. Then you discover that the parents have written somewhere. There's a note somewhere that says, don't let my kids sit next to so-and-so. And there was an email from the crisis counselor about that. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just trying to figure this out. And then, and then if you're lucky, you can figure out a way to get your reading and writing in plus everything else they just dumped on you. Plus the stuff they told you to do during the last 10 days of in-service. And if you're lucky, you might have some kids that say goodbye to you on the way out and say they like the class. So when you get home, because you're not used to standing up all day long, because you've been sitting there watching your favorite TV shows. And all summer, you've been on vacation, you've been eating it up, you've been doing whatever it is you do, going on, you know, with your family, getting all that ready. And if you do have family, don't forget that you had to get up extra early to make sure they make it to the daycare, make sure they make it to there because they're not going to the same school that you're teaching at. So you got to drive all the way across town. That was in the morning. You got to get all that set up. Then if you happen to have something like a, if you're a coach or something like that, you got to make sure you have all the uniforms, all the balls, all the everything all set up. So that's all on your mind. And then you get home, you sit in your recliner and you fall asleep. And you sleep for two hours and then you realize, oh my gosh, I got to play and everything for tomorrow. I don't even know. <laughs> but it's all the time you got, got to go to bed. Not to mention the fact you probably just cooked or figured out a way to order a meal. So I don't know, Jacob, why are you tired on the first day of school? <laughs> I'm it. stressed out thinking about it. I know. <laughs> I mean, you nailed it, right? It's the billion and one. And the, it was funny because... Uh, one of our new admin, right, 
she was mm-hmm. the math department chair last year, and she moved up into admin this year. And she had filled in a lot, but by the end of the day, we were all sitting there, and she goes, man, am I going to be this drained every day? <laughs> That's right. And I was like, it's a, it's a different kind of drain, right? Because it's not – because in the classroom, you have – all the kid problems and the lesson plans and the emails and all the things you just listed admin, mm-hmm. you have like all of that shrunk a little bit because you don't have that much of a focus on that key piece, but it's also this door is broken. Uh, there's the, the big wigs from district are coming down to say hi to everyone. <laughs> right. uh, there's someone that just shows up and like, I demand to see an assistant principal there is, you know, there's uh, class sizes that are too big, class sizes that are too small. Someone doesn't have a desk. Someone doesn't have a computer. Technology is not showing up anywhere. And it's just this, it's the well, constant. To, Go ahead. Not to mention, especially like in elementary and middle school, what about the drop off and the all yeah. that in the morning with the parents? Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And it's, it's just all the place. And it's so funny because I think people just undervalue. Uh, or not undervalue, just, uh, I, I guess just underestimate the amount of things that are happening in an educator's brain at this time of year, at the beginning of the year, just all the craziness, the, the split moment decisions, the, the moment to moment. I think like even at like my, my last year or so in the classroom, like I still had that mine was usually drained cause I was just giving all that energy. Um, it was less like worry, but I still, like you said, I would come home, I'd pass out and I'd wake up and go, okay, I got to do things. And I did that today. I came home, <laughs> I laid on the couch for a second. I text you mm-hmm. and then I laid down. I think I maybe, I think I've maybe slept for like 30 minutes and I woke up and I was like, ah, I forgot to respond to that email. And so I got up and I started <laughs> doing that and it's just, it just kind of never stops. And I, I get addicted to that energy, but it is a shift sometimes when you are going back um, into the school year. And so, yeah, it's almost, of- yeah, it's almost like, uh, you know, when I was, when I was an athlete, uh, you know, we'd start the year, we'd, we'd start with three a days and, you know, we could hardly walk upstairs or down a ramp cause we were so sore. But about the fifth day after that first week, we were able to not be so sore. So I think it's the same way. I think it's just, you kind of, atrophied a little bit and you got to get everything back going but probably about the second week everybody's probably jiving 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 that's my term now you're welcome that's that should be your uh your book jiving and workshop i like that <laughs> ladies and gentlemen this is the crap the draft podcast here we talk about reading our workshop and what we love in the English world, literacy world, school world, we, we cover it all these days on the podcast. If you're a long-term listener, welcome back. If you're a new listener, we got a couple things to offer you, so be prepared. We release an episode every single week, long-form discussion, just kind of meandering through topics. Sometimes we get really into the weeds, sometimes we get really philosophical, sometimes we just have a good time. You never know what you're going to get. Um, just depends on our mood and how tired we are uh, on what's going down. Um, 
But you can also join us over there on our Patreon page. You get bonus episodes that no one else hears. We did two kind of teasers. We did a, in the last two episodes, we did a bonus video uh, that you can only see the video on Patreon, but you had the audio here. And then we did about half of a bonus episode um, and cut it off to see if any of you guys liked it enough to go check us out on the Patreon page. So a little advertisement for it. So if you are wanting to jump in, if you're hearing this now and five months from now, go join us over there. We'll keep adding stuff, keep making it worth your while. There's literally tens and tens and tens and I don't know if we're up to 100 hours of bonus content. They're probably pretty close. Um, So we're getting there. And then we have several videos, including our craft and draft setup video. First few days of workshop and so much more. So go check it out. It's worth a good time. Just like our Patreon supporters have. They go over there to patreon.com slash craft and draft and they support us and they are alicia brandy leah mark amy sarah rebecca courtney carol Nalissa, destiny Lori, natalie susan tracy andrea hannah Lori, jen matt amanda and donna so they support us and they get to ask us questions just like courtney did one of our biggest supporters she's been on the podcast she supported us for a long time she is a uh, long-term friend of ours through the podcast we're gonna answer one of her questions today and her question stems from struggling to make content flow if it's not written to flow she says i'm in oh i won't say her i won't say her district on here just in case she says i'm in blank isd down here in texas and we just adopted a new curriculum much like the one you're describing going from a workshop model to this part and parcel conglomerate i have no idea how to get it all in or make it flow, Jacob of Hand, help. I want to put out a lifeline, call out to anyone who uses HMH for fifth grade. Any guidance would be so appreciated. So she's mainly talking about HMH. We're going to talk about how to make all this flow. All that and more on Craft and Draft. Alrighty, Ochoa. So we're not going to directly talk about HMH just because you and I have limited experience with it. We like to talk about the things that we know. Um... But we've both experienced this idea of having a lot of materials or maybe even not a lot of materials, but just materials from a bunch of different things and trying to make it flow. And I think a great example of this is in my early years as an English teacher in the district that we both worked at to where we were forced to use a vocabulary program that didn't really fit with what we were trying to do. They were trying to sort of include Abydos, right? Mm. They were trying to sort of include independent reading, but we were also being forced to do uh, various things from the textbook, uh, bringing in grammar work through things like No Red Ink and Quill, um, which none of this in and of itself is bad. But when you have this part and parcel, as Courtney points out, this little bit of here, a little bit of here, a little bit of here, and they kind of write it into the curriculum. And they're like, oh, here, just go do this. Teachers go back to planning and go, how on earth am I supposed to do this? Now, I want to I flip this. Before we go into like talking about um, each of these and how to make it flow. I want to ask you from a different perspective. Is that okay, Ochoa? Sure. I'm going to challenge you. Maybe. Too. Depends on if I can answer it. Well, I have stumped you before. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, if... So when you were kind of the... One of the people who had to demonstrate this stuff for teachers and bring this to trainings... 
and you had mm. to kind of help people navigate this with, and you know, it really didn't flow with you philosophically and you kind of knew it was broken. How as a presenter, when you had to talk about these things, did you try? Because I know you didn't just go, okay, this is how it is. I know you tried to mesh it all in your presentation so teachers could wrap their minds around mixing five to seven different programs <laughs> together or or tools together to make something work. But I imagine that was kind of challenging just knowing who you are, your philo- your philosophy on education and whatnot. So how did you even think about doing that? Was that a challenge to do did you felt did you feel like you were successful do you feel like your hands are tied behind your back so you just kind of had to toe the party line so to speak how'd you think through that well i mean i've always thought <clears throat> through the the eyes of a workshop uh way of doing anything and what i mean by workshop is where the kids have got to do the work it's like it's like an apprentice uh system you know where the blacksmith uh somebody uh sends him their kids so that that they can become a blacksmith. And so that person takes them in under their wing and they show them, demonstrate, give them jobs to do, et cetera, until they learn how to do the do the job. And I think it's the same way with reading and writing workshop. It's it's and, and I still feel like if the kids are not reading or writing, then they're not learning how to become better readers and writers. And so the way that I can get kids engaged is again by choice. So then what I would do is I lived under these, the, these, these uh, pillars, if you will, just a lack of another idea, but certain pillars that I lived with, it it had to be an apprenticeship, had to be a, you know, I had to be a facilitator. The kids had to do the work, right? And they needed time to do the work. They needed their own ownership in some way. I had to bring it and make it real to them. And in order to do that, they had to have choice. In the meantime, I had to figure out a way to enter, to to fill it in. I mean, to make sure that I stepped in when I needed to and to help them. And so that's that conferencing idea and debrief and trying to figure out what, what they need and where they're at. So Within those pillars, what I would do then is I would look and see what was the foundation. So like if we had to do that, that vocabulary, I agree. I think vocabulary is important. I think kids need to do terms and things like that. But if I taught it in isolation, which is what they were wanting me to do, and that was the problem that I had with with what you're talking about, all these this conglomerate of things, it's it's if you do it the way they want, you get 10 minutes here, five minutes there, three, you know, if you do it like that and you do it all in isolation, then that's what you're getting. You're getting isolated skills and it's it's disjointed. So what I would do is lay all of those pieces out. Like all these are all the things I have to do. And then I would look and say, this is what my, you know, our uh not just the curriculum, but the objectives, the standards. This is what they are. So then I would look at and I would actually mix and match based on the standard. So I'd find that one standard that we did. And then I would say, okay, these pieces of vocabulary. So I might not go in the right order. Uh that's how I did it, but I could get away with it a little bit. But I would pick and choose out of what maybe even the list we had to do, which ones would best fit and make sure I taught those. Uh, and so I would do that within the context. So so if I'm teaching, 
if they wanted us to teach plot at the beginning, typically that's what they want you to do or personal narrative or something like that, then I would choose words from that list that would go with personal narrative. So then I would have the kids explore those words and then figure out a way to use them in their personal narratives. I would, so that's kind of what I did. I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but I would look and see what my whole piece was and I would keep those pillars in mind. And then I would try to to work it where the kids would do the work. So instead of giving them a worksheet over the words or a mix and, you know, like matching or something like that, then I would have figure out a way for them to actually write from those words or use those words in their writing or find those words in reading or actually find stories that would and poems that would have those words in them. And uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but yeah, that's what's in I my mean, head right now. It's it's so big, it's hard to really, you know, yeah. lay it out clearly. For sure. Well, there's a lot of unknowns. It's a little bit easier when it's specific. But mm-hmm. I, I, the reason I wanted to ask that was because I think that gives people a good indication of this. Because I know there's teachers that are listening to this that are not Courtney that deal with this, where they're not really given something that flows and maybe they're given something that people think flows. Right. Like for me mm-hmm. personally, like I think a lot of people struggle with thinking how Lucy Calkins stuff works, but there's also people who really love it. There's people who struggle with how Fonda Zippinell stuff works and there's people that really love it. Um, right now, as we've talked about the science of reading programs are really kind of coming out and people are buying them in droves and various companies mm-hmm. are putting out different ones. And I'm sure there's people out there who really love what they have. And there's people out there who are like, none of this makes sense. I think some of that comes down to training, but I think that what Courtney's talking about is where they're kind of like a, a pro, like a, a product like HMH, right? For those who aren't mm-hmm. familiar, it's a, it's basically a textbook company that has a bunch of different things in it. Um, they, there might be passages, questions, activities, and maybe online stuff that's built in. And then a district usually puts a bunch of teachers on a curriculum team, or maybe they have some uh, district curriculum writers, and they try to make this make sense within their own curriculum. You and I faced this when we were tasked with rewriting curriculum years ago. Uh, and... You you saw it in a different way, but I I was because uh, you came in like mid curriculum, right? Right. Well, I mean, I've written curriculum more and more, and the, when you were doing it, yes, because yes. the person I took their place, they had me come in. But I wrote curriculum years earlier. Here's the problem with people writing curriculum, especially if you've been in there for thirty something years. It it you'll you'll be assigned to curriculum, and then all of a sudden they'll get somebody new, and they'll go, "Oh, that curriculum's bad." And then you start over. You're always you're always reinventing the wheel, and so I've written curriculum where I came, I was at the very beginning of it before. And then, but when you were writing it, yes, I came in uh, after y'all had written it and I wanted to revise it so bad. And I was told that's not what we're doing right now, Ms. Ochoa. Right. Anyway, go ahead. Well, and so I remember mm-hmm. what happened was, is they were like, okay, so we have to do the scope and sequence. And they're like, for us, they told us, okay, we're not going to genreify this because the Texas standards are like really not focused on genre, even though some of them kind of were, right? So like if they're talking about stanzas, that's it's a genre standard. Um, anyway, 
So we were told not to do that. It's like, okay. But the textbook adoption that we had was mixed genre as well. It was mixed genre, but it was thematic. Yes. So it had themes and we were supposed to make themes on our own, but we couldn't use those themes because we didn't people just going through the textbook. Exactly. Which is where this got all (laughs) discombobulated. Yes. Which is why I wanted to. I'm like, why would you have your your resource have one theme, but yet your curriculum has another theme? And they're like, let's make it easy for the teachers coming in that don't know how to the new ones. And you're like, this doesn't make sense. Anyway, go ahead. Right. No, 100 percent right. And so what we ended up doing is we were told not to we, we couldn't make it genre. OK, but there were still genre standards. We couldn't follow the textbook themes, even though the textbook did what we were being asked to do. And so we had so we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on this resource and access to it and then broke it apart and then added outside programs such as vocabulary programs, grammar programs, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. In the name of creating some type of curriculum that was ours. And this is what districts do, though. This isn't just ours. Now, here's the thing. The district that we worked in, both of us have a lot of respect for that district in a lot of ways. We respect a lot of people that have worked in there. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist. It doesn't take a it doesn't even take to have a master's in curriculum and instruction to understand that what I just described is insanity. If you're going right. to spend money on something, then use it. But districts do this all the time. And I'm sure Courtney is probably in a similar situation. Just describing it as part and parcel um, gives a little indication of that. Even if it's not exactly what right. we just described, it has this broken piece. So teachers are left with like, okay, so how on earth do I make this work? And what ends up happening is teachers kind of pick and choose what works for them, um, which isn't necessarily bad, but it breaks the curriculum in general because one campus might find kind of a sweet spot for managing it and moving forward, or they're focusing on data that's driving their decisions, but another campus might not because maybe they have uh, less quality instructional leaders. Maybe they have less experienced teachers. Um, And so what they're left with is these schools who have like this inequity of practice, so to speak. Um, And, I think it makes teachers frustrated. I think they're like, what am I supposed to do? How do I do this for someone like Courtney, who's invested in reading, writing workshop, independent work um, or independent practice, so to speak, bettering herself, given a bunch of materials doesn't really do anything for her because she's going to want to do what her district is asking. She's Mm -hmm. going to want to follow the rules, but at the same time, she's going to want to inspire voice and choice for students. And that is incredibly difficult when it's just a bunch of random things that you're grabbing. So with that kind of laying the groundwork, my question back to you is how do you go through that? And this honestly, this goes to kind of the topic that we were talking about off air kind of doing that is knowing when and what to do for kids. But how do you do that with curriculum? How do you look at a pile of tools and go, all right, what tool am I using now within my guidelines? Because you know your boss, if you use the wrong tool, could reprimand you or there could be negative consequences if you skip out on yeah. some on some key details. So how do you even think through this process? I feel well, like just talking one. about it's giving me anxiety. 
<laughs> well, number one is you do have to figure out what the non-negotiables are. Uh, so that's number one. You got to find out like, what am I going to get in trouble for if I don't do it? Uh, and if they say you got to do it all, then what you got to do is come up with a routine that uses all of your things, but you make sure that what you're doing on that particular day all, if you will, matches. And and I think that's where it could be. I think you got to make your mind. Yeah, I don't know. This is where it's hard. I, I, I am struggling with this. First of all, I don't have a curriculum in front of me. But I know that the curriculum you're talking about, we had non-negotiables and they wrote it out. This is a, this is required. This is suggested. And this is whatever, which was even more confusing because uh, a lot of people would like, they like the suggested, but they didn't like the required. And uh, I've also worked with the textbook, and I'll be honest, I, I miss some of the days where it was just the textbook. Now, when I say just the textbook, they would say, okay, we're going to go chapter, you know, whatever, unit one, and that's the first unit in the textbook, and it's thematically chosen. So now they say, okay, you got to do um, at least three or four pieces off of that unit one. Okay. That's so much easier because then you can take off that unit one and then you can find, okay, this little grammar piece I'm supposed to teach will work well with this story that's in this unit that's following this theme. Um, I, I personally like to work off of themes. I personally like to work off of um, uh, generalizations is another way of looking at that. And generalization would be things, something like, um everyone faces change okay so that would be a generalization and then what you do is you create some questions off of that as a teacher and then i could create my curriculum and everything that i read it would be multi-genre right because i think that's important i think if we just do a poetry unit and we just do a fiction unit and we just do that we're not we're really not helping our kids because we have to that, that's not how the test is written most of the time. And that's not usually what they have to do. They have to look at pulling that, that multi-text thing. So, but if you're following, so, but every text that I choose has to do with some kind of change and answers one of those questions. Now I can fit all this other stuff in. Does that make sense? So I can fit. So now when I'm looking at my word list that I have to use, that they say I have to use and I have to spend at least five minutes on it. Well, I'm going to pick the words that deal with change like trans you know if, if it's a, if it's like a, a great we had a latin and greek list we had to do right and root stems so if the word is trans well then you've got trans that that's transition so that's dealing with change now i can talk about transitions in your writing and so then that would all flow and then i would have a routine and uh, my routine might be these are the words we're going to do today and they're going to fit somehow in my mind, in my, in my unit that day or my lesson. And then I'm going to do a mini lesson over it and then over whatever that skill is or, or what we're doing that, that topic. And then the next thing I would do is we would be reading and they get to read whatever they choose. But the question I asked them to write about after they read, then I'll say, okay, now go back into your reading. And did you find anywhere that there was change? So they go through and they write in their notebooks what was something changed? Did their character change? But what was the change that happened in what you read today? 
Okay. Then I would go through and now we're going to write, write about any change that's happened to your life, something where you've had to deal with change. I might have a little sentence starter. I might have a poem and then they lift a line or something, but it would be with change if that's what I'm doing that day. So I do really well when it comes to like a word like that. And we follow that word all the way through. Um, And like if I had to pull in grammar, then we could say with change, you know, it might be how can we, uh, sometimes we have to have sentence variety. Why do we need sentence variety? Because readers need change as they're reading, you know. So if they read the same type of sentence all the way through and you never change it, then you're not helping your reader. So everything that I would put together, if it was me, I would figure out a word or something that I could use that would guide me through that whole entire process. And it would definitely be dependent upon my standard. But that would be one way I could work through it. I worked better with that. But what you're talking about, I had a difficult time the last few years with the curriculum you're talking about because of what they did. They said, well, you can't really use the textbook for this. But yet all of my resources that I had was the textbook. You know what I mean? I couldn't, I still had choice. I did have a really good library. You probably had a better library, but I had a really, really good library for my classroom. I do use the library in the school. I always made sure that we had, we did that all the time. I loved going to the library and sending my kids. Uh, That's also where I could get away with the reading time because I've also worked with principals and stuff that are like, and we've talked about this before. Why are you reading in reading class? Right. But if I took them to the library, because we're all encouraged to the library, well, oh, we're just doing library time. But guess what we do during that time? We pick a book and we read. And I usually got left alone when I did that. But if I just read in the class and it didn't look like I was teaching, you know, so I just have to know your system. So I'd say number one is figure out what your non-negotiables are. And then I would figure out a way to work through that. And then I would keep a routine that works. So it's the same for your kids. So they can always have predictability in the structure, because I think your structure will help determine the behaviors and all of that, that you want in the classroom. Did I answer or did I just go in a soapbox? No, you're good. And honestly, it made me think of another thing that I've talked about in uh, other episodes, but it fits with this one too, which is if you're trying to figure out where things can go, or if you're trying to work in other things, you have to look at what's important to you and focus on that uh, first. And what I mean by that isn't important to you in terms of like what you want to do, but important to you in terms of what do you need to do to get kids reading and writing. And so I had um, a literacy coach my second year, third year of teaching, Uh, and she sat in my class and she goes, Jacob, what do you want more kids to do? And I was like, I want kids to read and I want them to write like genuinely, like I, those are the two things I want them to do, but I feel like I'm not doing a lot of that in my class. And she looks at me and she goes, okay, so what do you need to do to make that happen? What do you need to get rid of? Or what do you need to restructure? And we had that conversation and it was such a helpful thing. And I've kind of always used that conversation as a guide, for helping other people in terms of it's like, okay, so you feel like all you're doing is test prep. So how do we make that happen less without ignoring the importance of test prep in certain time frames? 
And I think in reading and writing, it's kind of the same thing. If you are someone that has a bunch of things happening in your class because the district wants them to do it, they have a bunch of different programs, a bunch of part and parcel things for kids to do. You have to really look and go, okay, so reading time, boom, that's going to take up this amount of time in my classroom. Writing time, that's going to take up this amount of time in my classroom. Sweet. That's my foundation. So how much is actual teaching going to take up? So that direct teach piece. Okay, boom. Then you have maybe conferencing. So that goes in with kind of reading and writing. So you might have to wedge that in there a little bit differently. Okay, so that really doesn't take up any more time. It just happens there. And then that might leave you with three, four, five things that a district wants you to get done in a week. Maybe you have a vocabulary program. Maybe you have to have a certain amount of grades you have to take. Maybe a certain amount of tests. Maybe you have... Uh, something that they want you to get through with grammar practice, all of this, right? They have to wedge in there. I would do that. Set out everything that you want to do to the, to raise the literacy of your students and then look at everything else that kind of has to be fit in there and figure out how that can support it. So rather than looking at it the other way of saying, okay, this stuff's just in my way. It's like, okay, no, this is the core of my classroom. Kids are going to read. Kids are going to write. I'm going to teach. I'm at a conference. Cool. So how do I use this vocabulary program within that framework? How do I use this grammar program within that framework? And I think that shifts it just enough to make it less uh, oppressive (laughs) to where where it just gives you a little bit more freedom. And honestly, like that's what, because this is what I would do for myself. Now, I would also just push back on stuff and I wouldn't do certain things often. But oftentimes I did do them genuinely. I just did it in my way. Like we had to do, uh, you know, the prefixes and suffixes. That was a huge thing in our district for a long time. And I did what you did is we found passages. We found the prefixes and suffixes that were in there and we worked through it. That way. Now, was it a perfect science? Could we always find the passage that we need? Not necessarily, but that's when the little bend happens. That's when you're like, okay, well, I'm not hitting these specifically, but I'm hitting these. And you just kind of work through it that way. And I think that's, I mean, there's always got to have flexibility in how you approach these. This is why you and I just aren't a fan of just sitting down and being told what to do necessarily in teaching because it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to responsive teaching. It doesn't lend itself to database decisions. If you're just following point by point, a curriculum, a scripted thing, which is where the frustration comes from for teachers. And it's even worse if it's just a bunch of random stuff, because none of it really makes sense because you might decide that the questions being asked in this program aren't necessarily the types of questions that you need to be practicing. So now you're just wasting your time. Or the vocabulary in this thing, is it really matching the vocabulary that kids can read in general? Because I know the vocabulary program that we were told to use was mainly for high school kids and for mm-hmm. honors kids and pre-AP and all of that stuff. But we're putting it in every classroom. But the, but the problem is it was in, it was so isolated. It was, yeah. I mean, they gave us a series of just like worksheets that we had to do. We had matching games we could do. I mean, it had nothing to do with including those words in writing. They never once told us how to include it in writing and how to include it in reading. And that's the, that was the problem I had with it. 
I don't mind learning the words, but but if you're going to put it in there, and that's the problem with curriculum writing, is they want everybody to do it. So what? how do you write it? You have to write it up in isolation. This is what we do for grammar. This is what we do for vocabulary. This is what we do for writing. Well, it's it's written out, separated, but it, it's meant to be put together in some way, but they don't go around and show you that. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that just popped in my brain. No, I mean, it, it's all important i think to hear uh for people that are struggling with this and i think that i i, I think another strategy i guess and this is kind of where we always lean on is if it feels broken it probably is or maybe you're not seeing how it all fits together ask ask your curriculum people yeah. i did it all the time to the point to where it probably came off as annoying but i think i earned some respect from people when i was like look i'm not trying to rebel I'm not trying to break whatever system that you've designed. I'm right. trying to understand and trying to genuinely figure out how to teach, right? Because we're all here for the same purpose. No person is setting out writing curriculum, True. putting curriculum stuff together to hurt kids <laughs> like or hurt <laughs> teachers. They're just doing yeah. the best they can. And so sometimes understanding why something's put together doesn't necessarily mean you'll agree at the end of the day, but just understanding it helps. Because I remember like we would have those conversations. We would rant and rave about something and then a new teacher would be there and we would be like, oh, well, you know, this is why they do it, but this is why we disagree. And I think that's perfectly fine in the teaching profession. It's like, yeah, I have to do this, but here's why I disagree. Or I have to do this. I disagree. And this is why I'm going to kind of make it my own. And you were the queen of making things your own. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because I did what I just told you. <laughs> yeah. But I will tell you, when you talk about asking people, I have been known. And as a, when I was an academic coach, you know, we had like our social, you know, I, I had to do all the subjects, right? When I was, before you got there, I did all the subjects. And uh, so in social studies, for example, the, our teachers were struggling with social studies. How do you get all of these things in? And it, it, social studies, when you want to talk about a lot of uh, standards, they have to get in in one day. There's a lot there. So how do you get it all in? So I actually invited the social studies coordinator to do a lesson and actually demonstrate for us. And she did. She came to our PLC and she actually presented a lesson that we were to go out and practice with our kids. But she presented it to us first. So because we were having trouble understanding how to include it all. And so that could be another thing that could be out there. Just ask, you know, I will tell you, I'm not one to burn too many bridges. So I always made sure I kept in good graces with the people just above me like that, especially all of my district coordinators that were in charge of all those subjects, because when I had to be in charge of all the subjects at my school, um, they really came in handy. I'd ask them to come out and show us. And that would be, so if you have an academic coach or if you have a, an assistant principal that's coaching you, then ask them to have those people come and model for your, uh, for your PLC, your, your learning community, uh, that could be another route. And I found that that was very successful. Plus it built, um, as you were saying, I'm not trying to rebel here. And sometimes I come across because I get a little irritated. So I, I get all like fired up, but when I'm talking to them, they don't know all that. I'm just like, Oh, I want to do everything that you want us to do. Can you please show us how to do it so that we can all, cause we just want to make sure that we're doing what y'all want. 
you know, that kind of thing. So that's, I don't know if that helps you. You know, I guess I have one more anecdote for this. Oh, okay. Is, so as a literacy coach, I don't know if you remember this or not. But they were trying to do, we, we had this person come to our district and they were very elementary focused and they were trying to pull a bunch of elementary stuff up to the middle schools. Which is fine. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm not. I'm not disregarding elementary practices at all. And their mm-hmm. argument was sound, right? The argument was, well, our kids are reading at elementary level in middle school, so we need to bring up some of those strategies. Cool, awesome. Does that mean every strategy works for a middle school schedule, middle school teacher? The the realities of what it means to have thirty sixth, seventh, eighth graders in your classroom. Well, we were told that we had to do running records. Mm-hmm. In middle school, no guidance really. We no, always... they just said do the running records. I remember. Yeah. Uh huh. And here's what I did is as I, I this was told to us when I was a teacher, and we well, I did it a handful of times. I was like, I just don't see how this is feasible in a middle school classroom. I just don't. And then I became a literacy coach. And what I did with my influence, which is what I've always tried to do, the more influence I've ever gotten in a district, the more, quote unquote, power, and it's the wrong word to use in education, but that just more status or more authority, maybe that's the word, is I've always tried to look back and go, okay, so as a teacher, what annoyed me? How do I, so how do I advocate uh, for those things? So what I did is I invited this district person. I said, come show me how this works. And so she came down and did it with one student. It took like 20 minutes. And it was it was the longest I remember because I was in there. Yeah. And I, I remember. process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember going like I see the value in it. Like I, I think it's fine. Like it is what it is. I think that it has its place. Um, but I was like, there's no way this is going to work in a middle school classroom with 30 kids. When, when teachers have 158 kids versus what 35 in elementary school you know what i mean like it's yeah. just not feasible in any stretch of the imagination and i pushed back against it and it was like you seeing it firsthand by the quote-unquote expert uh was how i kind of did that and it wasn't i didn't it wasn't like a trap i didn't set it up that way i just set it up to be like okay so if you think this is gonna work show me how this is time efficient and that has always been like I think where like I did that as a AP because I was telling people like, okay, so get kids to write, you know, show them this, show them that and get kids right. And they're like, okay, so how does this work? Why don't you come do it? And I was like, absolutely. And I jumped in and I did a lesson. I had kids writing. I was like, there you go. And like this year I did PD uh, for the staff and cause they were like, kids won't talk, kids won't talk. And so I did a 25 minute session where I showed them a bunch of strategies, the thinking behind how to do it, the proper way to do it. And then after teachers experience it, they're like, Oh, and they're like, Oh, we can totally have kids talk academically in classes. I was like, I know you can. I was like, that, that's why I just like nothing I've ever preached about talks about. I don't think can be applied. I think the difficult thing is, is that some people get in these positions and they're assigned a task of fixing something and fixing a system, especially a system across schools, across grade levels is incredibly difficult. I'm not diminishing yes. the difficulty of that task. Yeah. It's why it's partly why I think we need a restructuring of what school districts look like in general in America, but that's a whole other can of worms to open. Um, 
I just think things are just too big to fix um, sometimes. Uh, but I think people decide, okay, we're going to do this when it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And I know, and I've had this do this before as a leader, sometimes you just have to make a decision. And the people that are with you are with you, and the people that aren't hopefully join you. And if they don't, hopefully they play ball. And if they don't, well, they'll find another place, right? Like that's just the reality of leadership. You can't, not everyone is going to agree with every decision you make. And sometimes you have to make a decision because you see information that they don't, or you understand information that they don't. And you just have to hope that you're making the right call. But um, I think teachers should voice these things. If you feel like this is way too part and parcel, if you feel like it's too disjointed, you feel like it doesn't make sense, you feel like it's not serving your kids, you feel like it's getting in the way of your kids learning, talk about it. Don't fight about it. Talk about it. Demonstrate. Have data. Show the information. Do it for a six weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever. Show how it's kind of broken. Invite people into your classroom. Do all of that. Be an active learner and participator in this format in order to help the people around you see that you're not just rebelling, but in general, you're genuinely trying to help a system be better. And I think people will be better off for them. Now, it might be slower progress. And it might not work all the time and you might have to push back a little bit. But I think at the end of the day, if you do that, I think you'll win nine times out of 10. And wh what I mean by win is make progress and move to what you want, not not get exactly what you want necessarily, but move the needle in terms of not being asked to do just a bunch of random stuff. And it makes a little bit more sense and you can make it make it work better. I don't know. That That's my that my last piece on this. You have any closing thoughts, Miss Ochoa? No, I just I, I want to say I agree with you that it's very difficult uh, to create curriculum for for yourself, much less or for your kids, much less branching out to a whole district. Uh, and so I would just say, again, going back just as a reminder, find your like you said, the things you really want in your classroom and see how you can fit those that part and parcel conglomerate in that system in such a way that satisfies the district. And at the same time, ask questions and uh, say, this is how I'm going to do this. Are you okay with it? Because I think if you're taught, if you're more open about it and let them know what you're trying to do, sometimes it can be helpful. Uh, Cause I always told them myself way before I got in trouble. That way I was never in trouble. <laughs> You know, uh, some people ask, what is it you uh, you do? And then you ask permission, right? Mm -hmm. So I just think you need to figure out what the non-negotiables are and make sure you figure out a way to get those in. And then, but I don't know, figure out a way to make it flow. And it could be flowing through skill-based, flowing through uh, genre-based, or like I said, uh, flowing through a thematic or general type of uh, generalization uh and i would just i don't know i would just do that but i think it's hard and uh i'd be happy to answer any questions that anybody else has about this and see what you know maybe a little more specific questions i can answer those uh, if they want to send them they're our way so i definitely look at them and that's it ladies and gentlemen for this podcast hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. That's Pamela Trump, Jacob Chess saying two educators down here in the state of Texas doing what we love, talking about reading and writing workshop and so much more. 
If you want more episodes like this, subscribe, show me something, leave a review. Those reviews help us so much. Or join us at Patreon, patreon.com slash craftanddraft. You can find that link if you just search that. But also go to craftdraftworkshop.com, find all the podcasts, join us, listen to bonus episodes, bonus training videos, and so much more. Come back next week for another fantastic episode and know that we are here for you.